Preferred Capital Funding presents the Result Podcast, a podcast where trial lawyers share a recent verdict or settlement and discuss how they achieved the result. The Result Podcast is brought to you by Preferred Capital Funding. PCF provides loans to your clients, all while providing the highest level of customer service and continuing to be 100% attorney referral based. If you have a client in need of a loan, please contact me at jason at pcfcash.com. Now let's hear from attorney Sydney McClafferty of Geyser, Bowman & McClafferty in Columbus, Ohio, about how PCF has been able to serve her and her clients. My clients have greatly appreciated having an attorney who has the resources to meet their needs quickly. PCF is a fast and accessible resource for my clients, allowing me to provide solutions to their most urgent concerns, whether that be funding for continuation of health insurance or money to replace a car so they can return to work. It's truly been a lifesaver for some. Today, the Result Podcast is happy to welcome Christian Patno, Chris for short, of McCarthy Libet Crystal Lifman, located in Cleveland, Ohio. With close to 30 years complex trial experience, Chris focuses on medical malpractice, wrongful death, defamation, and catastrophic personal injury cases. Over the span of his career, Chris has obtained over 28 $1 million results, 12 of which exceeded $2 million, and a large $39 million result in 2014. Chris prides himself on his cases making positive changes to prevent future injuries. Chris has also been recognized as a top 100 trial lawyer by the American Trial Lawyers Association and also serves as the treasurer for the Ohio Association for Justice and is highly involved in the Ohio legal community. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Jason. So, Chris, as we do with every episode, uh, this is the first episode of season two of The Result. We start at the end. Chris, what was the result of the case we'll be discussing today? The results of my case was a $39 million verdict that you had referenced in the opening. Tell us a little bit about the case. The case was a very complex one involving the death of a highway construction road worker, uh, Randy Reginski, on I-271 South in Cleveland, a major artery up here. And uh, the case was against the general contractor, Shelley Company. Uh, with regard to the safety setup and operation that allowed a uh, public motor vehicle driver to drive through and strike, uh, unfortunately, Mr. Roginski, resulting in his death. Now, you said this was ultimately a jury trial? Uh, yeah, it was approximately a two-week jury trial in Cleveland, uh, resulting in a hybrid verdict of compensatory damages and then a second phase where the jury awarded punitive damages. Let's go back to the beginning. When when this case came to you, how, how did you personally approach it? Well, the case was very complex because you had the Ohio Department of Transportation. Uh, you had the employer of my client, Mr. Roginski. Uh, you had multiple subcontractors on the job, and then you had the general contractor. So there were a lot of uh, you know fingers in the pie, so to speak, and a lot of different duties and responsibilities. Uh, you know, the first thing we did was go out and gather all the documents with regard to the construction project and then hire several experts to try to analyze what duties existed and what duties failed and what duties that existed and failed were actually a causal factor in Mr. Roginski's death. So, you know, we had, uh, I would say, thousands upon thousands of documents that we had to review. Uh, because this was a large highway project that occurred over many months here. What was ultimately, what was the main vein of negligence uh, on all those parties' behalf uh, that led to uh, 
uh, your client getting hit? Sure. So when we when we sifted through everything, what became you know relevant to us was that uh, number one, he would need to be out near the roadway to do his job. Number two, that the project allowed for highway traffic to still operate within 65 miles an hour on one lane, while the other lane that was being worked on would be closed off and traffic entering that would enter it and exit it. When I say traffic, uh, trucks carrying new asphalt that was being laid would enter and exit at around 20 miles an hour. So what happened was in this situation and probably many times before, you would have several trucks coming in every half hour with asphalt in the middle of the night, pulling from a 65 mile an hour lane into the paving lane that was coned off at about 20 miles an hour or less. Uh, and thereafter, once they dumped the asphalt into the paver and were done with their job, they would re-enter uh, the live lane of traffic at 65 miles an hour. So just envision that. You had you know, these trucks that would come in that would slow down, and then you would have a live lane of traffic coming up at 65 miles an hour in the middle of the night behind them. You'd have all these flashing lights from multiple construction vehicles and the pavers and all this confusion going on. And a motorist coming up behind that type of danger uh, would have no understanding that this vehicle in front of them was going so slow. And so that's what happened in our situation. And the driver, in order to avoid coming up and hitting the, the paving dump truck that was slowing down, diverted over to the right suddenly into the berm where our uh, unfortunate client was and struck him. Let's let's switch gears here a little bit. Let's talk leading into trial. How did the defense approach the case? The defense uh, thought that, you know, they were very strong with regard to the law. They thought that, you know, the jury would apportion fault and responsibility on the driver that struck Mr. Roginski and not them. And I believe that they they viewed the case as one that they didn't think was going to result in a verdict uh, for Mr. Roginski's family, and in no way did they ever foresee the amount of the verdict in this case. Do you think there was ever a point in the trial where they realized that it wasn't going to go their way, or do you think it was all the way to verdict? Um, I, you know, I believe that uh, they thought the trial was going well for them. And you know, I talked with defense counsel throughout the trial. That's my personality. Um, you know, talk a little trash. And uh, during the trial, they seemed to think that everything was going their way. Uh, I uh, and my co-counsel, Phil Curry, thought that things were going our way. And we thought things that were going uh, our way were going so well, even better than anticipated, that we ended up substantially cutting our witness list to get the case to the jury sooner, you know, because we didn't want to abuse the jury. A lot of lawyers are afraid to do that. But if there's a way that I can thin the herd and speed up the trial and I made the points that I need to make, uh, you know, in my experience, that's the best thing a lawyer can do. Let's let's take a sidestep here. I've heard you speak before uh, about congeniality with uh, defense and 
speaking with them. Talk a little bit about that, because I feel like, especially in the trial lawyer community, there's a lot of people that feel like you have to be standoffish 100% of the time to be successful for your clients. And I know that your philosophy is different from that. So could you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Uh, whenever anyone's trying a case, you have to be yourself. Uh, and that's, you know, what I've learned. And there are highly successful people that don't talk to defense counsel. Defense counsel is the enemy. Uh, you never give them an inch and you don't speak to them. And that works for them. That's their style. My style uh, is not that way. You know, no matter how nasty defense counsel is, I'm who I am. And, uh, and so, you know, no matter what's going on, I try to maintain a, a level of decorum. I try to maintain a level of professionalism. And, you know, no matter how I'm being treated by a defense counsel, uh, I'm still nice to them and I still talk with them and it doesn't affect me or my style. Let's step back to the jury trial now. How, how long was the jury out before coming back with verdicts? The jury wasn't out that long. I wanna say they were out maybe a day, a day and a half. How do you guide a jury through, uh, successfully guide a jury through such a complex case where there is so many parties involved? Yeah, in, in this case, uh, when we went to trial, it was just uh, reduced down to uh, the Shelley company. It was one defendant at trial, and we made the purposeful decision to thin the herd to only go against the one defendant uh, because that was what we had focused the issue on and the theme on. And I believe in the end, that was the uh, appropriate, most important thing that we did was we found the theme, we found the focus, we found the defendant, uh, and uh, that's, that's where we focused the case. What do you think the biggest factor was in trial in getting to the $39 million verdict? Well, you know, when you look at a case and you have to assess liability and how to get there, you also have to assess damages. And, you know, from my experience in talking with younger lawyers, uh, the damage component is the most difficult part. And many lawyers don't even think about that until they get right up to trial. When I'm focusing a case, uh, I try to look at liability. I try to look at damages. I try to work up damages, but most importantly, I try to connect my damages to the liability so that it's a fluid theme. And in this case, uh, the way I was able to do that was uh, we believed that they needed law enforcement officers more so than what they had out there under the contract. But those law enforcement officers would cost them, I think, around $17 an hour. And so when we went to trial, we created the theme that this was a case about protection and the removal of protection. And not only did they remove the protection from the construction worker, but most importantly, they removed him as the protection for his children and his wife. And that it was the jury's obligation to make things right and to reinstate the protection that they had taken away. So we then looked at the case, we analyzed you know, how much it would cost the company an hour to have safely protected the job site in Mr. Roginski. We then applied that in an argument and in a theme that for the rest of their life, for the, for the wife and for the children of Mr. Roginski, uh, this is what it would take uh, economically. And that theme uh, anchored 
the liability to the damages and made sense. You may have just answered my next question, but for the attorneys that listen to our podcast, what do you think the number one tangible takeaway, something that they can learn from your experience on this case and apply to their cases? Well, the, the first thing is this was an unbelievably complex case. So finding the issue uh, of liability that makes the most sense against the actor that failed in their duty is, is the most important thing. And then trying to figure out how to weave that theme into the damage component so that the damage component and argument makes sense uh, is the next phase of that two-phase approach. And I've used that in medical malpractice cases. I've used it in motor vehicle cases. Um, and so it crosses the spectrum. Uh, it's just not you know, a highway construction fatality case. It's a theme that, that sits well with the jury. It's a theme that makes sense. Did you get a chance to talk to any of the members of the jury after the case? I, I never talk to jurors. Uh, it scares the hell out of me. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I used to talk to them and, and they, they focus on things that the lawyers don't even think about. Um, but uh, I often do send in young associates uh, that try cases with me and uh, co-counsel. And I believe on this case, uh, I, I asked Phil Curry to go in to find out what was in their mind. And, um, you know, this jury, uh, believe it or not, uh, was in lockstep with our theme and theory and bought in early and stayed on it. So, you know, this would have been a pleasant experience had I spoken with this jury. How long were you guys in trial? Uh, I, like I said, it was it was about two weeks, uh, uh, maybe a little more. The most maybe it was three weeks. The most interesting component of the trial, though, was, you know, in Ohio, once you get a compensatory verdict, and if you have a punitive case, you then have to go to the punitive stage. And so the jury, after having heard all the evidence, they think their job's done. And then the, the judge instructs them, oh, hey, wait, uh, now we need you to sit here for another few days. Uh, you can imagine the look on their faces. And so, you know, it, it brings me to the next lesson from this case. And that is, well, now that this jury's awarded all this money to you, how do you then motivate them to award even more money? Uh, because they think that that's the, they're done. That's the most that they should be awarding. And so, you know, we figured out a theme and a theory for punitive damages uh, that we went after, uh, talking about how this company uh, defended by refusing to accept any responsibility whatsoever and sent their lawyers in. They didn't have management show up. They didn't have the CEO show up. And it was this faceless company. And when it went to punitive damages, uh, we called a bunch of the CEOs verbally in court that were not there. And then we rested our case without putting on a stitch of evidence. And, hmm. and in closing argument, we left it up to the jury uh, with a suggested number that was a lot higher than our compensatory, telling them that this was a company that now is sending their lawyers in to say they accept responsibility, the very same lawyers who absolutely stated over and over again that they had absolutely no responsibility. And that unless the jury awarded a punitive verdict, that this company would never get it and would never change its ways. That's really interesting to me. Chris, is there anything we missed in talking about the case? There's so much more, but what I've learned in life is keep it short, keep it sweet, hit the high notes and get out.
Hey, uh, congratulations on a wonderful result uh, for your clients. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks for being on the podcast. All right. Thanks, Jason. Take care. 